Podcasting from a sex-writing cave from somewhere in the middle of the internet, this is The Smut Lancer, a weekly podcast where we discuss creating content about sex and getting paid to do it. The Smut Lancer podcast is hosted by me, Kayla Lords, and Molly Moore. We're two sex bloggers who have more ideas than time in the day. If this is your first time listening, glad to have you. If you're back for another week, welcome back. The Smut Lancer podcast is produced weekly, except during those times when we finally admit we need a break. Show notes are found at thesmutlancer.com. When you're ready to take your smut lancing career to a new level, join the Smut Lancers community on Patreon. For as little as $5 per month, you can ask questions, get answers, and interact with an entire community of other people who do what you do and want to get paid to do it too. Head to patreon.com slash the smut lancers to learn more. Hello, everybody. Kayla Lords back with the Smut Lancers podcast with my good friend and best work wife ever, Molly Moore. Hi, Molly. Hi. Uh, <laughs> we are time traveling, so we are technically recording this on October 1st, but I only have one question for you for when this goes live. Are you surviving October? Are you okay? There's a lot going on right now. <laughs> we launched a baby together. You're doing top 100 sex blogs. Are you okay? One of the companies I work for is launching a baby. And I'm like, you're shitting me, right? <laughs> Busiest October ever. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good problems to have. That's the only thing I will say. It's a good problem yeah. to have. It's better than having fuck all. But also... I, I don't know how this is going to be bad. <laughs> I, I look forward to um, recording the next batch of episodes that will technically go out in November because then we'll know. <laughs> You'll be yes. able to go, this is how that went. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are here for our monthly Q&A mailbag episode. We got a lot of great questions. We are going to, as we do now, attempt a bit of a rapid fire, stay on task, uh, we are gonna bang them out. We are. They're all good questions. I didn't want to like skip any. I could. We could have. I just. I was like, no. They're all good. I want to answer them. Um. Technically, I guess you could say this week's episode is sponsored by Obscene Ideas because we're out of uh-huh. pre-order. We're into this thing is live, and if you go and buy it now, you can get it now. Uh, ObsceneIdeas.com. If you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? You should listen to our last episode. But basically. Obscene Ideas is here to provide you with obscene ideas for your Uh writing. And our very first uh, product, our book baby, is 31 Days of Erotic Fiction. So go to it, obsceneideas.com. Check out the site, buy the thing, do the thing. Ta-da. So Mm -hmm. I think we could say this episode is sponsored by that. (laughs) Because we definitely benefit if you decide to buy a copy. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's get into the questions. Um, a first question is from Chase at Chase Kink on Twitter. Hi, Chase. Uh, first one, how do you estimate the amount of time something will take to complete? Gone. you said you had already kind of tackled this, so I'm going to let you go first for us. I did. So now part of, oh, thank you. Uh, part of it is I'm assuming that when Chase asks this question, it's about writing. So... First of all, you have to know the approximate time it will take you to do the activity. So we're going to use writing as the example. Um, I Somebody wants me to write a thousand word article. I know at this point approximately how long it will take me to write 
a thousand words. Um, that might be an hour, that might be two hours, it all depends. So there's that batch of time, put that in the, the first tally, two hours we'll say. Then you also uh, have to know, is this something that needs to be researched? Do you have to go learn more about it before you can create the thing? approximately how long do you think you'll need so i'm still using the writing example somebody wants me to write about something i don't really know much about but it's kind of general i'll give myself an hour um so now we are at three hours so then it's like okay well what else do i need to do with this thing i'll need to edit it i'll probably need to add links there will be things formatting things i need to do uh that's maybe 30 minutes maybe an hour i'll just say it's a four hour project now that's just one of them. What if I promise to do two or three? We'll take that number and multiply it by however many times you've promised to do it. So that's the first part. The second part is if you were doing something for a client, I highly advise giving yourself extra time, um, telling them it will take longer than it might actually take. One, if you submit it early, then you look like a hero. If you submit it on time, then you're dependable and they like you and they wanna keep hiring you. Uh, but you also give yourself a cushion for life to happen. And then the other thing I do, once I know how long I think the project will take, I then look at my current schedule. Because typically when somebody needs to figure out this question, how long will something take? you're trying to figure out when you will get it done by. So if I have a, a client task that I know takes six hours from start to finish, I'm gonna look at my schedule and say, okay, where do I have a day with six hours? Probably not. Uh -huh. Okay, do I have a day with three hours? Well, that means it's two days. Do I have a day with two available hours this week and four next week? Well, that's technically a two week deadline I have to give myself. Mm -hmm. So it's actually multi steps to figuring out how long something takes you. And until you've done something a few times, you are guessing. So always err yeah. on the side of uh, uh, too much time. Uh, it's much, much easier to say, look, oh, I got this done a week earlier than schedule than it is to go to somebody and go, can I get another week? I need more time because I didn't estimate my time properly. And mm -hmm. I have also been the person who thought a project, a big one, I remember the last time I did this, I thought I needed an hour a work day for a month to work on a project. So five days a week, four, uh, four, five days a week, an hour at a time, five hours a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five hours mm -hmm. a week for four weeks, 20 hours. And I used that one hour a day. And then I got to the weekend before the deadline and realized I wasn't even halfway through and then crammed another 20 hours of work into a solid weekend to hit my deadline. Mm -hmm. Oh, you've only got to learn that lesson a couple of times before you go, nope, I will either give myself more time to work on a thing um, per hour or I will give myself a longer deadline to say that I will get yeah. it done. Um, but it's a lot of different pieces all at once. And it's, um, for me, it's a process I'm constantly refining. So um, two years ago, it took me a certain amount of time to write a certain amount of words. And now it might take half that time. I, right. I can bang out a thousand words in half an hour if I know the topic. Are they beautiful words? Yeah. No, that's the first draft. But it things do move quicker now. So do you do anything different? Or... No, I would say, I mean, I don't have a lot to add. I think you've really covered all the bases. And I think one, I would say one of the things is 
if we're talking about deadlines with a client or whatever, then it's definitely better to give them longer and come in under that than the other way around. Um, uh, even after all of my years of experience, I just fucked it up this last month because I agreed to a deadline, um, which I've had to tell them I can't do because, but that's because the piece required me to interview somebody and the person who's going to be interviewed has never has not come back to me um and i should have thought because i just was like oh yeah that's fine i can write that piece in i can one i can write that piece so quickly once i've got those person's answers (laughs) and so i gave them a deadline being like yeah that's quick i can do that and of course then i've had to go oh actually not so much um so yeah even after all this time you can yeah i still you know you still make mistakes you learn from that luckily they're people they're cool with it um and so it's not like the end of the world but just yeah i think it's probably something that you get better at definitely the more you do it but that you still look at me even after all this time go oh yeah (laughs) that was mad (laughs) um so yeah I think, and working backwards is a good idea. Going, well, here's the end point I need to get to. What are the steps I need to do to get to them? Um, and as for writing an article, if I know the subject, like Kayla, I can do it really, really quickly. If I don't know the subject or know the subject, but know I need to know more, then that's going to take a bit longer because I actually have to either have time to think in order to formulate structure um or i need actual time to research um and so those are things to you hit on something really key there that we should definitely point out in the time that you give yourself to figure out how long a task will take uh put in thinking time um i i have often heard the term and i've used it when it's when i um talk about coming up with topics it's a term called ideation we're literally making ideas. You're creating ideas. Whether that's what is this piece of content about or how am I going to format it or what points do I um, need to include. For me, I include that in my writing time. Um, but sometimes that does, for other people that might not work and that needs to be a separate amount of time. But yes, a factor in how much time you need to think about what it is you're doing, whether that's... Uh-huh you know, like I said, format our ideas. So uh, it's a it's a multi-piece puzzle. And yes, Molly's completely right. We, we are all still just practicing no matter how long we've been doing it. it. Yeah. It Most things, if they're new, they will always take longer than you think they will. Um, yeah. So just err on the side of caution and give yourself a lot of t- padding of time. Okay, next question. How often should I be pitching if I want to make most of my money that way? You know I have um, thoughts. <laughs> what do you think, Molly? <laughs> well, straight away, I want. I'm almost going into the whole like, how long's a piece of string? <laughs> like, um, as many as you need to do to return, get that return. I mean, there's so many factors to think about. About like, you know, how much can you pitch, and how much can you then turn around in any given time. Is this your full-time gig so you don't have to 
fitness around a day job, like all those things are going to have an, uh, an impact. And um, yeah, earning money just from your pitched work is going to require building up a, um, a essentially a portfolio of clients of places who are prepared to take your work on a regular or semi-regular basis is what I would say um you know perhaps trying to find somebody who would be interested in you writing a column or a six-part series or uh, because then you've done that pitch and you're like great I know I've got this and it's going to cover the next say six months because I'm doing a piece a month da, 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 da. so that kind of thing can be really useful I mean yeah how much do you need to earn how much like oh god there's so many factors I feel a bit like I feel like my answer is shit because I'm like well it's it, we have to give vague answers my my thought goes to my initial gut reaction is to say in the beginning you pitch as much as you can credibly do meaning that your ideas are good well formatted that you can get out in a day that are publications you want to be associated with. So that does not mean pitching to every single publication that exists. Um, the thing about that though, is there will, for, cause you pitch a lot because you're only gonna get a percentage of acceptances at first. Sure. There's gonna be a lot of no's at first until you build those re relationships with editors who go, oh, I know your work, I know your ideas, you know, I'm inclined to look at that email first, that kind of thing. Um, but what happens, and what has happened in my experience when I used to just pitch ideas, is there comes a tipping point where you pitched so much and more people than you anticipated said yes, and then they all want to give you deadlines that are kind of right on top of one another. And I have found that if you get to that point, you kind of can go through this period of this is almost too much. And that's that's a thing you can't predict. You don't know when that will happen. You don't. And then the, the, the weird thing is, is that will happen. And then pitching can be feast or famine. Uh, if people are, uh -huh. I, I know this because of, um, the other side of content creation I do where I answer a lot of journal requests on behalf of a client. There were three months where almost nobody was looking for quote experts to talk about sex. So where I could answer like up to 15 journal requests in a month for a client if I was lucky, I was answering one or two. What that means right. is that pitches also were not getting accepted for that kind of content. So that's the famine period. Like there's times when it's booming and you'll get you'll get too many acceptances potentially and you can't keep up. And then you'll have times where you're not getting enough and you you feel like you can't even eat, like you're not earning enough money. So it's a constant balancing act. And it's why my personal preference is in the beginning, you pitch to every place you really do want to write for that you think you have a good sure. idea for. And then as you start getting yeses and acceptances coming in, you try to build relationships with the places you want to write most often. Even if that's not a regular column that you can count on, but it's an editor that you're friendly with that appreciates your work, that said nice things about what you do, and you send your pitches to them first and get that kind of almost, almost sure thing. But yeah, I agree with you, Molly. There's no set answer because there's too many variables. But I think it's 
less there is a there is a numbers game but i think there's a quality game too because it's really easy to pitch to everybody and the next thing you know you're writing articles you don't care about for a site that's barely going to pay you and you're stressed and uh and now you're not building the relationship either so sometimes slow and steady really is probably best there but yeah there's no perfect answer so just do what feels manageable until it no longer feels manageable. And that's when you know to back off. Uh, Okay, next question. And this one is Mm -hmm. definitely for you, Molly. (laughs) Uh, How to start taking sexy photos, especially when I want to improve my body image? I could do a four-hour lesson. There's so much to talk about. Um, Okay. Oh, gosh. How to condense this down? What would be my top tips? Um, How do you start? Just start taking pictures, really. The minute you try to do anything else, you're going to overthink it and and fuck yourself over before you even get going. So get out your camera or your phone, whatever you're using, and just start. Um, And be kind to yourself. So it's absolutely fine to take 10 pictures and throw nine of them away and go, oh my God, no, 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 oh no, no. Hmm, maybe this one. Um, because gradually over time, the more you learn, the more that that number will change. So out of 10, you might get four usable images and then gradually as you get better and as you hone your skills. Um, wow, I would, yeah. with regards to body image I would say start perhaps with some stuff that you already perhaps feel good or makes you feel nice like this is meant to be a positive experience that makes you happy so this is not meant to be something that kind of strips you bare excuse the pun and makes you feel super vulnerable in time you may come to that place many of us who have taken this journey have done but I would totally say start off by taking a picture of something that you already feel good and that you like about because successes early on will keep you going and get you hooked in the whole process and be like I really love that picture like I I always love those knickers and fuck that picture in the, of me in those knickers looks great. I love that. And that will spur you on to try something else, to do something new. Um, look at other people's stuff. Look at other people's stuff and you, in order to help inspire you, not to copy, but to inspire you, where you can then go, ah, oh, that's cool. Like, that's interesting. They did that from a different angle. Like, they put the camera on the floor or they balance the camera up high or... You know, what did they do? How did they take those pictures? Will help you to just hone those skills to think about different angles, different lights, different colours, and of course, editing. If you're on your phone, I would um, hugely recommend using Snapseed um, to edit your pictures. There are a couple of other editing programs that I use, but that's the one I use on my phone to pretty much do everything in. Um, there's like some little tutorials in Snapseed so you can learn to do interesting things. It's a really good little tool. It's free. Um, if I if you ask me for one thing, one editing tool on your phone, Snapseed is what I would tell you you need. Um, 
apart from that, just dive in, give it a go, be brave. You don't have to share them if you don't want to, but if you do, then do it. It's warning. It's addictive. I started off like uh, 11 years ago, a long time ago, with a little point and shoot camera and like took a picture of my tits. And now look at me now. Um, So, yeah, watch out. But enjoy it. It's meant to be positive. Like, you can totally play around with angles, play around with poses, you know, take the picture that is flattering, that makes you feel good. You know, dig out your heels or or whatever, your best shirt or your lipstick or, you know, your favourite, I don't know, like, whatever the thing is that makes you feel nice. Your best pyjamas, your whatever that is, um, stick that on and have a play around and just see what comes out the other end. And, yeah, I think just go for it. I have nothing to add. We're going to let that stand. Excellent answer. Next question. The next question is from Quinn Rhodes at On Queer Street. Hi, Quinn. Okay. How to remain professional when calling out a brand who have done something slightly cis-normative and not apologized or changed anything, especially when they're a small indie brand who you want to support, but they're not being as inclusive as they claim to be. How to remain professional. Yes, Molly, please go for it. (laughs) So I have some thoughts on this one. And I want to frame my answer that this is very much about small indie companies, brands, shops, whatever, manufacturers, whoever. So if we're talking about the big boys of this world, like my answer kind of mostly doesn't apply to them. I'm talking about very small companies um, who are trying to do something good that but maybe aren't always a thousand percent successful at it, but they are trying to do something good as opposed to a lot of the big companies who are literally just trying to get your money out of you. Like, and they will ride any bandwagon that that gets them a sale. With that in mind, those small companies, if you feel like they are trying to do something good and perhaps generally have done stuff good in the past, they have shown themselves to be trustworthy in that way or appeared to have been then I really do advocate and again I'm advocating I'm not telling anybody what to do and you absolutely must do what feels right for you in any given situation but I would advocate for trying to speak to them in in some kind of dm type situation or an email particularly if they're a company you have worked with um and so reach out to them and say hey xyz here's this situation this is how i feel that you have gone awry would it be possible to have a conversation with you about this because like i'm uncomfortable about what happened here and the fact that you haven't addressed these issues and da, 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 da. give them that opportunity to have that conversation with you privately essentially rather before you before you kind of bring it out to a public setting if and again, there's there's so many caveats I could put in here. Like, you know, if, the, for example, 
you just send them an email, you send them a DM and they completely ignore you or anything like that, then clearly you've given them that small little opportunity to engage with you in a conversation where maybe you can educate them and improve what they're doing because they're a small indie company who have shown that they want to try and do good. If they don't do that, then I think that then that's the time when you then say, you know what, I'm going to tweet about this or I'm going to write a blog post about this or whatever that you choose to do because you've given them that opportunity to engage with you. Um, hopefully, they respond and go, oh, okay, let's have a conversation about that. Clearly how that conversation goes and how what they choose to do as a result of it and all those kinds of things will then dictate from that point onwards how you feel about what they've done and therefore how that relationship continues on and how you view them. So clearly if they are super welcoming to your you pointing out that there's a problem and they ask for advice or they implement change or da 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 then you can be like okay my instinct was right they are good guys good good people trying to do the right thing if that's not the response you get then you've kind of learned a lesson i guess so i always think especially if they're a company you work with is try the initial contact in a way that allow that gives them some space to go oh thank you very much for pointing that out to us we will correct that immediately um if you don't get that response that's when i think that you change tack um yeah what do you think i think that everything you've said is absolutely correct and i think that you can do all of the we'll put air quotes around this right things and they still don't do anything different or they don't respond. Uh-huh. And I think there are a lot of reasons behind that. I think um, one of those reasons could be the reason that many of us go to first, which is, oh, they just don't care. Um, and that is very possible. Even though they are trying hard to care and they seem to be trying to care, they, they may just not care. I do think that sometimes companies wrongly, truly, uh, think that if they do nothing, it will just go away. And in a, mm-hmm. in a way, it kind of will, because almost none of us have the energy to, every single day for the rest of our lives, point out how this company is not doing this thing correctly. Um, that's not that's not good for us as the people pointing it out. That that can really erode our, our mental health, our productivity, all the things we need. But, th- so I think sometimes companies think, if it doesn't matter, we just won't say anything and it'll go away. So it comes down to what are you going to do? Um, because the reality is, and, and n- not only do I know that everybody listening to me knows this, but I also know Quinn knows this. Uh, some companies can't be helped. They don't want to take the outside help. They don't want to hear the criticism. They feel good or comfortable or whatever about what they're doing. Um, and they just, they're not trying to be cruel but they are not here for anybody's feedback and so you as the person who would like to see them do better and would like to be the one that helps them do better um you have two choices you either talk about it so people know and i think we as individuals only have so much energy for that quite frankly um or you 
catalog that away in your mind and go, okay, that's not a company I support. That's not a company I promote. That's not a company I can work with unless I see some meaningful change. Um, and that's because, and, and I'm saying it that way because what the question is, is how to remain professional. Uh-huh. And that's really what it is about. There is a conversation, I think, to be had at some point in a future episode. And I, when I say a conversation, I mean, I don't quite know what my final thoughts are on this topic about choosing your audience. That is a huge thing in marketing and in online creation, content creation, where you talk to specific people. Those are the people you're trying to reach. And so the lazy thinking goes is that those those are only the people you need to worry about because those are only the people you're trying to reach when in fact you can focus on the audience you're trying to reach without excluding people in a cis-sexist or racist or transphobic or homophobic way. And I think Mm -hmm. that brands and content creators forget that. They've decided, I am focusing on this one audience. I only need to talk to this one audience. And they've somehow narrowed that audience down to their gender and their genitals and put that together. And they've now excluded other people. And so what happens is in in their mind, they're like, but I'm talking to my very specific audience. I don't want to change what I'm doing. And it, it is lazy. And I think there is a conversation to be had that maybe one day we can do a podcast episode about about what that means and is there a better way to go about doing it? And I feel like sometimes that's a little bit of what's happening from a brand's perspective. Not saying they're right. I'm just saying that's what I think is happening. Um, and they somehow think they don't have to listen to or think about or worry about their exclusionary language as a result. So... It's, I, to be professional, you say what you need to say that you, so you know you can sleep at night and you did the best you could. And then if their response is not good or there is no response, then you decide as a professional, will you engage with this company again? And if so, how? And, and what I mean by that is, are they just somebody you actively don't recommend? Are they somebody that you're going to call out as often as you can? Are you going to hold them up as an example of what not to do? Or are you going to simply not engage with them at all and not lend them any of the influence you might have? Meaning you're not recommending them, you're not talking about them. Uh-huh. If somebody's like, oh, who should I, Where? what company should I use for this? You're recommending somebody else, but not them, those kinds of things. That is part of what I would say is about being a professional in that situation. So anything to add, Molly? No, okay. I think I think we've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we suck at rapid fire, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> next question. Um, should I add payment due within 30 days of receiving to the two invoices? Is that a thing? Also, why are invoices so real and scary? I'll say invoices are real and scary because that's really about money. And there is uh-huh. always that fear you will not be paid. So I totally get that. Uh, this one is, I'll say the quick answer is yes. Add yeah. your terms onto your invoice. I put a specific due date. I don't put a, a, a yeah. amount of days. I say this is due on this day, knowing it can be ignored. But yes, put your due date or your deadline or your net 
30 net 15 whatever on your yeah, invoice or what you've negotiated because so, like one of my peeps pays on publication mm, there you go so you know you may have negotiated something with somebody that that if that's the case then you write that on the invoice yeah definitely put put the information on the so, invoice and put it in writing before you agree to do the work in the email yeah. in the agreement write it everywhere so there's never yeah. a question anything else you would say to that molly no, I think that, like, that was what I was going to say. My only caveat is that you may have agreed a specific term with a specific mm-hmm. company, client, or whatever, in which case that's what you would put on there. Um, apart from that, you should say, these are my terms. Right, and that goes into another conversation that I we had in the community Slack uh, a few days before we recorded this, where it wasn't just about invoicing, it was about other things, but it's about real, It was we were talking about negotiations in that conversation. It was basically understanding the power you have. Like, you get to say, these are my terms. The worst somebody can say is, we don't want to do that. And then you either negotiate or you walk or whatever. But you do get to control this narrative by stating, this is what I expect. This is what I want. And the more you can do it in a no-nonsense, sort of nonchalant but professional way, the less likely somebody is to push back. They're like... Oh, okay, that's how they want that. And here we we move on. And if they just have a different process, then you can have that conversation. And it is almost never personal. It is about the process and the system that they're using. And then you find Uh ways to work within that. So, but yes, on your invoices, whether it's a due date or it's a certain amount of time you expect to get paid, go ahead and put it on your invoice. Make it clear. The other reason for that is sometimes... Your invoice goes to your editor or your person, but they are very often not the person paying you. That's being forwarded to an accounting department who knows nothing. Right, and that's what I was going to say. If somebody doesn't pay you, then always feel free to... Like, I never worry about saying, hey, this invoice never got paid. Because 90... In fact, virtually everybody... Yeah. 95% 95% of the people I work with, the person who pays that invoice is not the person I send it to. And so quite often they're like, oh, really? Let me follow it up. And then they poke somebody and instantly money appears. So uh, there is that kind of chain and those chains do break down. It's not personal. It's not, It. it's just people trying to manage shit. So yeah, that's, that's very common. Yep. So yeah, the more information you can put on the invoice, the more you're helping the accounting department out to look at it and go, oh, I need to make sure we pay by this date. So yeah, yeah. get that information there. Okay. Thank you for those questions, Quinn. Last question is from Calliope at Queer Courtesan on Twitter. Hi, Calliope. I'm also very proud of me for knowing how to say your name now because I struggled with that. Um, This is a really good question. How do you decide if you should pitch an idea or keep it for your own blog? I know I have thoughts and I'm sure you have thoughts. Oh, God, what, I'm rubbish at this. Uh, but you, so you go first, because I'm terrible at like, oh, this is so good, I'm going to keep it. And then that's the wrong, uh, la, la. you go first. So it, first of all, there's no right answer on this. Uh-huh. And I think that you have to find your own way of thinking about this. And the way I finally decided between that, and I was able to decide this when I was actually pitching under my legal name, And I didn't have a blog where I was writing about the same thing. So I got to have some professional distance from the ideas to pitch versus the ideas to blog, which is, do I want my readers 
to know about this thing more than I want it to live yeah. out there in the world. So yeah. it was really easy when I was under my legal name pitching dating and relationship advice that was pure vanilla. I could not, I did not, could not care at all. But if I took that idea and gave it a kinky twist, my instinct was, oh, no, 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 no. I want this for my content because that is going to let people know that I'm talking about this, that I know about this. This is going to help uh -huh. my readers. This could help uh -huh. my SEO. This, you know, it can do all these things. Now, yeah. that is one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is how much do you want to get published on the site where you or in the magazine or the print or the whatever where you're pitching is an idea that you feel positive is great for this outlet you're pitching it to and it could one make you money to yeah. be a great thing for a portfolio to be able to show i wrote this topic here and you're more publicly uh -huh. the expert on that topic there is no right answer to those hypothetical questions you ask yourself. Uh -huh. And Molly, you've always had a really good tip that I did not, I did it, but I didn't think about it in these terms till I heard you say it, which is you pitch your idea when it gets rejected, put it on your fucking blog because yes. not every idea will get accepted no matter how good the idea yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And so although, so sometimes it's, Oh, it didn't get accepted. Did I pitch it to someone else? Did I pitch it to the wrong place? But I have definitely done that pitch stuff and then gone, okay, fine, you don't want it. You know what? Great. I'm going to write it for mine and I knew it was good anyway, so fuck you kind of thing. So, yeah, that is definitely, if it doesn't get in, post it on your blog anyway. Um, I don't have much to add, really, I don't think. Like, I can be notoriously bad at this because I'm, like, kind of grabby hands and, like, want to keep everything for me. But then <laughs> that's also not, like, very conducive to... Uh, earning any money <laughs> i think that makes a difference too the less i needed to rely on pitched ideas for income sure. the less i cared about pitching those ideas so if you what yeah. if you're thinking right now i have to earn more money and i need to raise my portfolio as a writer for other publications and i need to uh form some relationships with editors so that i can keep this money coming in on a semi-regular basis then pitch every good idea that comes your way first and sure. then if it gets yeah. rejected yeah put it on your own blog but if you feel like you have the freedom or you have competing goals build up your own brand and your own site and yeah. also make money then you take it pitch by pitch, idea by idea. When you look at that idea, you're like, would this do better building my brand if I kept it on my site? Or is this a good one to send off into the world where it is out of your control at that point? Even if it gets accepted, mm -hmm. once you write it and you send it and you get paid for it, that's done. It it lives up on that site for as long as it does and it comes down, it may come down at some point or they may change it or they may do a really misleading headline or all kinds of things happen. So yeah, take each idea you have and consider it based on the goals you have for yourself as a content creator. What are you trying yeah. to do is how I would say that. But yeah, Molly's thing of every rejected idea just gets to be a blog post. I, that's perfect. You know, pitch it to a couple of places and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Just write it for your own blog. If Especially if it's an idea that still really speaks to you because it does yeah. have value beyond the money you will could earn for it. 
Absolutely. And it's building your archive, and you don't know that if that'll be the post that, you know, goes huge in the Google algorithms or goes viral on Twitter or whatever. There's no way to ever know that. So, mm-hmm. okay, we got some good questions this time. Thank you, everybody, for those questions. Uh, a quick reminder, we do this every month. You can ask questions at any point in a month. Um, you can contact us, you can DM us, you can add us on Twitter, you can do whatever you need to do. Um, you can also, if you join the Smutlancers Patreon, get access to a Slack channel where you're not just getting our thoughts and opinions, you are getting the answers and experiences of other Smutlancers at different levels of experience and, and different perspectives. You can join by going to patreon.com slash the Smutlancers with an S on the end, the Smutlancers. Patreon.com slash the Smutlancers. Link is in the show notes. Uh, also, I'm finally starting to remember to tweet that out a little bit more often. You know, self-promotion. Not not a dirty, awful thing. Um, and don't forget, Obscene Ideas. It's a thing. We talked about it last week. We were in like a pre-sale launchy thing. And now officially, as of the day this episode goes live, we are launched. If you purchase it, you get it right then you can download and you can do the thing have 31 days worth of ideas it's so exciting so pick pick or or both if you've got a little extra cash or uh-huh. both patreon.com slash smutlancers obscene uh, that's it for us this week <laughs> bye y'all bye Thanks for listening to the Smutlancer podcast. If you like what you just heard, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app and check out the blog, past episodes, and other great information at thesmutlancer.com. You can follow the Smutlancer on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's at the Smutlancer in all three places, or follow Eroticon on Twitter or Instagram at Eroticon UK, all one word, Eroticon UK. For more tips, tricks, and help from your fellow Smutlancers, join us at patreon.com slash thesmutlancers. Thanks for listening. Let's do this again next week. Mm-hmm.